Good afternoon and welcome back to Navara FM. This is the first episode of Series 4, bigger, better and more libelous than ever. As ever, I'm joined by intellectual giant, the bike dynamo that gives this crazy ride just a little bit of illumination for the path ahead, James Butler <laughs> at Pierce Penniless. <laughs> Hi, James. Hi. Today, what else could we discuss but the outcome of Scotland's independence referendum? Hashtag IndyRef. As Adam Ramsey succinctly put it in the Guardian estimate, advocating a yes vote felt this was effectively a vote to leave the Titanic. To the contrary, however, it appears that the majority of Scots, 55% of them, on a major turnout, an unprecedented turnout in Scottish politics, Scottish history, British history, especially in the post-war context, conclusively want to stay. They want to stay whether the ship's sinking or not, and I'd agree it's sinking. So, James, let's talk mm. about where do we start? What makes sense of what's just happened? Well, um, yeah, okay. So I have, uh, as I think is probably unsurprising, always had sort of a series of misgivings about the sort of uh, hyperbole and overstatement that has accompanied um, a lot of their campaigning for independence, especially from the left. Um, I, I always sort of uh, agreed that there were sort of two creditable reasons uh, for, for, for campaigning for a yes vote and, and ones that would probably have persuaded me where I in Scotland um, I don't I don't really know um, uh, one is just a simple matter of uh, what what Tim Clark called elementary political hygiene um, ie the the sort of um, uh, ethical imperative to detach oneself uh, from both the history of the British state um, and to, to attempt to deal with what, what is uh, a sense of deep sort of disenfranchisement, mm -hmm. uh, an alienation from Westminster politics uh, a, a relatively accurate, I think, perception of inequalities between uh, certainly the south of England um, and sort of uh, general economic status in Scotland. Uh, and there is an open question um, about the sort of British state's role in terms of imperialism, mm -hmm. uh, and it's a word beloved by sort of Trotsky's campaigners for independence, uh, as well as its role in NATO. Uh, and now on that, I think, I think some of the arguments made in terms of sort of uh, British imperialism are, are ones that rely on a series of conjecturals. Um, and, but anyway, I mean, they're largely moot now that the, the vote has gone yeah. this way. The other, the other uh, reason that was uh, bandied about for voting for independence uh, was that of simply uh, a, a moment of constitutional and political chaos, uh, right, which, would, uh, which in a context where nothing else seems to be moving would allow, uh, you know, at least a, a change of... Um, terrain, mm. uh, a change, uh, a, a, a moment in which sort of people could seize at uh, something uh, that is at least a little different to the kind of stasis and lack of movement. A Scottish which... links amongst the pigeons. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. Um, but the, the, so, I mean, I, I don't, I, 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 I'm not sure I find either of these arguments particularly creditable. Um, you know, I, 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 they are perhaps <laughs> more interesting than the arguments in, in favour of a, a no vote. Um, but... Uh, you know, ultimately, I find it hard not to, to see this vote as, as, you know, two, certainly the, mo the most hegemonic forces in each campaign were rather sort of competing nationalisms than, than anything else. Uh, this is not to say that British nationalism did not exist in the no campaign. It certainly did. Scottish nationalism also existed uh, in the yes campaign. Now, uh, I know in the past uh, we've had people on the show argue that there is uh, a, a distinction between a kind of civic nationalism and ethnic nationalism. Mm. Um, I also found that argument to be rather 
tendentious and unsubstantiated. I, I, particularly when, you know, I, I think it's important to ask the question of what happens when you put civic nationalism to the test. Mm. And I think it very quickly becomes ethnic nationalism again. Of course, the history and genesis uh, of the concept of civic nationalism is not uh, a, a history that belongs exclusively or even predominantly to the left. I mean, people, regular listeners to the show know that you and I probably don't share too much with regards to... Yeah, the vote yesterday and the issues at stake with regards to the referendum on independence, I was an overwhelming yes for reasons I made very clear on a show in the last series with Adam Ramsey and uh, Nikki Seth-Smith. I totally hear what you're saying in regards to the critiques of, you know, these were two two visions of competing, two competingly sort of nationalist visions. <clears throat> I mean, it's called the Scottish National Party, not the Scottish Nationalist Party. To be clear, it, it is clear a nationalist party, but I think one of, of a very different kind to, let's say, UKIP, for instance, they like they want Scotland to remain in the European yeah, Union. Yeah. UKIP do not want the United Kingdom to remain in the European Union. Their relationship to an interdependent, globalised economy is a different one. Um, and in that respect, I think UKIP's idea of you know, or let's say the right conservative vision of a British political economy, and that could actually lead to people like Glasman and the Labour Party, is much more about import substitution and you know revivifying domestic industrial production than the SNP's vision, which was about a globalised economy, which is still a capitalist vision, but a very different kind of capitalism. James? Yeah, look, I mean, I don't I don't want to pretend that um, that anyone I know in Scotland has any illusions about the SNP, um, that, that they think they are going to, they were likely to lead to some sort of Scottish socialist utopia. Um, this this wasn't anything as far as I understood that, that anyone believed. I think there, there are serious questions that... that, that yeah. You know, uh, so that the, there was a matter of you know, which happens in moments like these, a question of sort of political priority, right? People putting you know, differences in vision to, to to one side in order to to you know making essentially a strategic compact with a kind of nationalism in order to achieve um, a sort of tabula rasa, a kind of blank slate uh, a, 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 of statehood in which to to execute sort of various different kinds uh, of vision. And of course, after the vote, then this this would this would uh, come into contention. I think that contention is still there. And I think that's probably the most interesting thing that we're going to see in the next uh, few few weeks and few months is that, is that disagreement about the, the direction um, of uh, uh, society, uh, both north and south of the border, is going to be really, really profound. There is one other thing I think that, that is worth uh, uh, dwelling on, which is uh, that uh, there almost certainly, you know, one of the things there has been a, a huge and concerted campaign from the British establishment in in the course of the past two years, uh, two years, <laughs> two weeks, mm. um, to to really stoke up fear. Uh, and I think this is, I think it is pretty accurate to say that this has, uh, you know, it is it, this largely accounts for uh, uh, the the difference in percentage points between. I, I you know, I suspected, I suspect, had this happened, had the vote happened two weeks ago. Uh, the, the the results would be far, far closer. I mean, or even a week ago, right? Yeah. I mean, they I had a great last week, the yeah, yeah, no yeah. campaign. Um, there, there is something else, I think, that, that it is worth taking on and taking on at the top of the show, which is um, I fear and I worry about a lot of the stuff that has happened with the, the radical independence campaign, some of mm. which has been, you know, really actually quite impressive. Mm. Um, I fear that uh, its direction and involvement in, uh, you know, this single political event um, will lead to a kind of dis- disillusionment and dis- you know, uh, 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 disengagement from political work from, for, for, for people involved in it, which is you know, perhaps understandable if so much energy has gone into this vote. Um, I do think that 
one of the things we we have to tackle immediately is to say that that the the kind of society that um, people involved in that campaign want to build is eminently buildable. Uh, it isn't dependent on a new nation state as a vehicle. Yeah. Um, it isn't dependent uh, on getting your people into Hollywood. Um, it's not dependent uh, 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 you know, on any kind of uh, uh, formal or representative uh, rearrangement. It, it depends largely on um, the kind of activity that, that, that certainly a fragment of the radical independence campaign have been uh, engaged in thus far, which is a very simple kind of... Uh, uh, political engagement on the street uh, on people's doorsteps but but you know beyond that as well because you know in a certain sense i i have i have wondered um uh, about the sort of this attempt to locate uh, uh justice on on matters of housing uh, the nhs uh, uh uh the bedroom tax uh uh, atos things like this to locate uh, their resolution in a vote uh, rather than in the kind of activity that might actually uh, uh, make some difference about it. So uh, I I really think that there's there's actually quite a lot to play for now. Yeah, I mean, um, I just want to come back to that. I mean, because if you look at it, and this is how I see it, the two big events of UK politics, you know, between 2010 and 2020, let's say, the two big events were this referendum, which could have seen the dissolution of the union, and the 27 referendum, 2017 referendum on European Union mm-hmm. membership. Now, look, both of those are on the agenda and they're happening and they've been driven by two political parties, two hierarchically organised political parties. So for the left to say that, oh, well, you know, getting people elected into um, public office or, you know, running for, you know, positions of public office. I mean, clearly, we can't say the party is over, quote unquote, when, like I say, these two epoch defining, decade, century defining, you know, possibly um, events within British politics uh, are being driven by political parties with memberships and leaders. I mean that. So, so for me, for, you know, for, for me, I, I, I have to sort of slightly disagree with you because so you re- restate the argument because you're saying, well, the, I agree with you to the extent that you're saying the vision that a lot of the radical independence campaign have is possible within the British state. I agree with you to an extent, but at the same time, clearly, this whole thing never would have happened without the SNP a being a big player in Scottish politics. B having formed a government in at Holyrood, it wouldn't have happened in the first place, I, I, wouldn't it? I mean, the, the, no, it wouldn't. The, so, so, There's so, a referendum on Scottish independence you're because the people, SNP are the yeah, dominant yeah, yeah, political no, organisation in Scotland. No, no, but that's not, that's it wasn't not a my grassroots argument. emergent network. That's not my argument. Yeah, go on. My, my argument is that people are concerned about housing. They are concerned about the NHS. They are yeah. concerned yeah. about uh, the bedroom tax. Yeah. They are concerned about uh, disability cuts. Mm. Like, so this is this is you know th- that doesn't depend on a referendum. These issues have been sort of important. To, to the to the uh, referendum campaign because they are things that people care about. Yeah. People will care about these things regardless of whether there's uh, a referendum campaign or not. Yeah, now, I agree to a certain extent hmm. that the referendum has provided approximate opportunity for people to uh, to, to bring these issues together um, because it has because it has As said that there is a, that, it has said that there is an opportunity to do something about everything at yeah. once. I think that optimism is good. Mm. Um, I don't think it is contingent on the existence of the SNP for people to care about those things. And, uh, you know, I think in many ways the energy devoted to uh, to campaigning for a yes vote has stopped people doing things about this. That's not this true, is, James. Well, this is what I hear from people in Glasgow. Well, compare it to England. Yeah. I mean, there's a more. I mean, you can't say that because I mean, the, the, you've got a load of activism. The last ten years has gone towards 
the Scottish National Party and essentially this vote, which has just happened, you know, that whole effort post Holyrood and the ascendancy of the SNP is intimately tied in with what's just happened. At the same time, they've won big wins on the NHS, universal free prescriptions, universal free um, uh, higher education for Scottish students. So that wasn't wasted energy because they've got these outcomes and they've had, you know, a shot at this political event albeit unsuccessfully yesterday. So there hasn't been wasted energy. I mean, there's been a correlation between those energies and good outcomes that, um, you know, could be understood as more politically useful than anything achieved in England in the, uh, during the same period. Mm. All that energy that's gone into the SNP, you know, you could say, oh, it's wasted energy. But we know that in that, over that same period, there's been a massive deviation in policy outcomes in both Scotland and England. There yeah, I, can, I mean, so I think, I, I think this is um, like a reasonable-ish point. But the, you know, my, my point here is that it's specifically limited to, to, to this matter of uh, the referendum, yeah. right? Um, and I, my, my worry is the conflation of uh, the existence of a socially just society with the existence of an independent Scotland. Mm. I think that is a dangerous rhetorical turn. Mm. Um, I think it is, you know, <laughs> highly, highly dangerous mm. uh, and I think it I think it will lead to disillusion I think it will lead um, to people's disengagement with 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 political work however oh, go on. Um, I think there's a point there's a point that's made by Paul Mason yeah um, in in a piece that I think he posted uh, this morning yeah and um, which is to do with uh, exactly this kind of divergence that you're talking about yeah um, now I don't think the matter is as clear as Mason makes it. I don't think that you're going to see a very rapid differentiation between uh, between social texture in England and social texture in Scotland. Um, but I think that the, the the germ of the point is correct, right? That there there will be probably now um, a push towards uh, a, a, a more sort of big state uh, uh, welfare spending sort of uh, social settlement in Scotland. Uh, that doesn't seem to be happening in England. So mm-hmm. you will quite likely uh, see uh, at this point a, um, a growing division in, in social texture between the two, uh, between the two nations. Uh, and that, that, I think, is interesting. Uh, I, <laughs> I don't, I, again, I, I don't see any reason to see it, it will happen as quickly um, as Paul suggests, but uh, but I mean, I certainly take the the the, the seed of the point that that, that is quite likely. Uh, now, what that means in in actual political terms is 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 interesting. And uh, again, I'm not as certain or as um, uh, like uh, as likely to make uh, grand predictions as Paul is. Um, but uh, at, at five a.m. in the morning after his seventeenth espresso, <laughs> well, uh, great, effort, moments of great vision often come at five in the morning. That's at least, uh, at least yeah. as far as I'm concerned. Um, but but there are, there are certainly, I mean, you know, already interesting rumblings on on this matter, um, uh, and and ones that don't actually look particularly good for those of us who live uh, here, right? Um, which are to do with the end of the Barnett formula, which are to do with. Um, uh, uh, this, this rather like I think actually quite dangerous, and I think uh, a legacy of uh, of a sort of non-critical left nationalism, or or you know the absence of a critical voice about nationalism in this debate, um, is is this sort of um, uh, uh, English revanchism, right? Mm. Uh, so you have now this um, uh, uh, what, what is it that Cameron said this morning? This uh, uh, the voice of millions of English that has not been heard. Yeah. Uh, the the is rather sort of Chestertonian sort of uh, reactionary sentiment. Yeah, we've heard the voice um, of Scotland now. The millions of voices of England must be heard. Christ. Um, so I mean, but, th- but what I mean, what this means essentially is is you know, I mean, one is presumably a manoeuvre uh, to to make it possible for to to uh, uh, even 
in the next general election should uh, Labour take power uh, to, to make it very difficult for them to, to govern. Uh, I think that's one of the motives here. But I think the other motive is 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 a kind of um, simple English nationalism. Um, one that, that views, however, I think uh, probably rather unjustly, that views sort of Scotland as parasitic or as sort of uh, uh, sort of welfare addict, you know, all those kind of, yeah. sort of uh, stereotypes yeah. that have been part of sort of British nationalism throughout uh, throughout well throughout the last few decades, but particularly in the last two years, mm. um, so so this has given birth to this particular kind of uh, uh, you know, really rather nasty sentiment. I mean, there was an interesting poll out. I can't remember a few days ago. I don't know the exact numbers. I think it was sixty sixty five percent of um, English and well, people in England and Wales said that they thought that the the Scots or Scotland independent Scotland should not have the pound. Um, and a great article by Chris Giles in the Financial Times, and he said, you know, were there to have been obviously this was written I think a week ago, several days ago. <clears throat> Were there to have, and you know, I agree with you, and as does Chris Charles in this article, were there to have been a successful yes vote, um, it would have been a huge issue on the doorstep for UKIP in 2015 in terms of how do they dissolve the union and, you know, sort of the division of the spoils, so to speak. And I had a funny conversation with a, a, a mate the other day, and we were talking about some of the metaphors that might have been deployed. You know, you can see Nigel Farage on BBC Question Time saying, you know, you left us for another woman, you don't get to keep the CD collection, you know about the pound or something. You know, I, can, I can literally see this in my mind's eye. You know, so. But uh, it still is going to be a massive issue on the doorstep. you know. And again, this is another example of where UKIP are going to squeeze the centre on this issue, on the Barnett formula, on the West Lothian question. Mm. Um, the piece by Man- uh, Mason you mentioned, it's a kind of 10-point BuzzFeed, Navarro Wire-style article. One of the things he says is there's now going to be clearly... Um, a deal with regards to, you know, tax autonomy for resolution of the West Lothian question, which basically means, you know, there will be tax increasing or decreasing powers given to Holyrood in exchange for, you know, Scottish MPs no longer mm-hmm. being able to vote on, you know, quote unquote English matters. <clears throat> Interesting point here. I think along with those, you know, power, powers, competences of tax autonomy, I think they'll happen. But I think they're going to come along with, um, you know, uh, a, a, a kind of flaw on deficits, so you're going to have also so fiscal austerity. You know, fiscal austerity is going to be imposed now by Holyrood instead of Westminster. Mm-hmm. So you know, that's a, yeah. Look, you've got all these budgetary powers, you've got all these competences, but you can't run a deficit of more than three percent. You know, and then all yeah. of a sudden, who's got to implement the austerity? You know, who who are the people mm-hmm. that can't run the countercyclical deficits? It's the SNP. It's the people in government in Holyrood. This is a trick that should not be missed by advocates of yes, James. Yeah, um, I mean, I think I think you're uh, probably right there. I, I, again, I think the the, I mean, this is partly the currency question that would have been operative. Uh, even had there been a yes vote, yeah. right? Um, like it, 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 the, again, I mean, I think I think this ties to a more general point, which is, um, I mean, I, I I felt sort of a degree of disquiet this morning, looking at sort of immediate reactions and and those reactions on uh, on the sort of pro independence left um, that you know, oh, this was okay, like we lost, but m- what a huge triumph for democracy. Um, I mean, I, this. I, I mean, like, I, I just kind of find it a, a preposterous argument, really. I mean, I, I, I can understand um, enjoying the fact that, uh, and actually being inspired by, by, by some of the stuff that, that has been happening in terms of you know, there being an active political conversation. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 you know, again, this is, so there are two arguments here. One is that it ties to the argument of proximity about 
you know, um, that this so it's that has come from you know engagement with sort of critical left positions on this. Uh, so the the argument that uh, uh, it, it's an axiomatic left argument about proximity of power, right? So if, if power is nearer to you, you therefore have a better chance of uh, changing it or capturing it or um, uh, 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 overthrowing it. Although there's not much talk of overthrow really. Mm-hmm. Um, so the this is you know uh, uh, an acceptance that that the class structure. Um, of an independence continent wouldn't change certainly immediately very much, um, and that there would be you know a, a, a state rather like the the, the British state, um, but in smaller form. But the argument being that it is therefore easier to capture or change uh, a, a society if it's a, it, that bit smaller. I, I think this is something that passes as, as axiomatically true among the left. I, I'm not sure that it is um, objectively. Uh, true. I, I think there's. It's an old debate, though. Huh? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. No, the East and the French Revolution, yeah, 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 the yeah. Federalists and the United States um, Revolution. But what I, I sort of wanted to say in response to that, and what ties into this question about like uh, democracy and this sort of abstract notion of democracy, um, the, the the problem is is not actually the size of politics, but but its mode. Um, and, and so this this talk about you know, democracy as the winner leaves a question about what's meant by democracy here, because there, there seems to me like. A, a real disconnect between the things that people are saying they encounter while campaigning, right? Like these these kind of really positive, huge visions of, of social change and social justice mm-hmm. and, and what was actually presented as a democratic matter, which is you get to choose between uh, two kinds of state, uh, which are largely identical but different in size. Um, so this... <laughs> is yeah. that true? Yes. I mean, because you look at things like migration policy, I mean, Scotland and the rest of the United Kingdom, in terms of public opinion, are diverging at such an incredible rate. I mean, I know what you're saying. That that, that divergence over the last five years is quite noticeable. And so it's, the, only, it's only sort of... I think this divergence is overstated. It's largely... Over, it's particularly... I mean, um, migration may be a, 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 a particular a particular. Take, matter, away, take away... I mean, we're in London. You know, take, take the rest of England, James. It's a really dramatically different country, not just to <laughs> Scotland, but London as well, you know? Where I'm from, you know, it really is. But then, but then you you do have this this matter, don't you? Of, of like, okay, so um, do we then argue for sort of devolution into to sort of regional assemblies and like you know, continue to fragment in that way? Is 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 a divergence of opinion or a diversion uh, a divergence in sort of economic, uh, uh, you know, say like uh, 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 profit rates or whatever? Um, like, there's a question here about like relations between. Regions that that is not, I think, fully answered by, you know, it's not panacea clearly, but it's one, uh, it's one but, answer. Go on. But yeah. to, to continue, I mean, like there, there is, I mean, I, I worry about this kind of, that, you know, that, that that there is a sort of attenuated notion of democracy here, right? That the democracy, you know, you know. <laughs> Is a matter of uh, accepting uh, the choice given to us by by the state, which is largely sort of, um, you know, what uh, slight variant of state do you want to be governed by, and what size in particular. Um, like, and uh, perhaps that may be, uh, you know, I I I'm open to argument that that um, there is a reason to take one decision over another. Um, you know, there the, the was, but but the fundamentals of each of each state is were not up for negotiation here, despite the fact that many people on you know in, involved in the campaign would want them to be, yeah, like the uh, currency, for instance, right. like the Queen and so yeah. On. yeah. So uh, and beyond that, NATO membership, um, the pro-business orientation of uh, mm. you know a new Scottish state, all of this stuff is stuff that people would want up for debate, and but but would not be up for debate in you know and and was not presented as up for debate. I mean, in fact, but um, one thing I've heard from SNP members even was that they. Would would have wanted had there been a yes they were saying that within a year there would have been a referendum on um you know no longer having the queen as the head of state 
And I mean, you might say, well, that's just nonsense. But look, mm. they formed a minority government in what, 2010? Yeah. You know, and look, we had this referendum pretty sharpish. So, well, I mean, I mean they're, they're, you know, it's a quite incremental. This, look, at the end of the day, you're dealing with a hierarchical political party. They do things incrementally. Yeah. That's how they think things I work, mean, yeah, yeah. rightly or wrongly. There is also, I mean, I think, I think, I think we should say that there is um, uh, a sense in which you know, um, uh, the the certainly the Cameron faction of the Tory party are Democrats, actually. They, you know, yeah. <laughs> however, you know, however sort of attenuated a form of democracy it is they believe in, they, they are Democrats as well. And, and so the thing to say about this is that, okay, what does this notion of democracy not address? Well, it, it has certain sort of formal and axiomatic assumptions about the role of the state, about how, uh, you know, a, a society should be structured. And, and those were, you know, again, I... I you know the, the way in which those would people were attempting to translate those into it in, in, into the referendum campaign. I think was uh, understandable, but maybe misguided. And I hope, I really, really hope that um, that these issues are not seen as settled uh, by this debate. I, I I don't know whether they will be or not. Um, it, it's hard to tell. I, I'm not as optimistic as Mason. So Mason suggests in in this piece that there will you will see the rise of a sort of Scottish uh, Syriza or Podemos. Mm. Um, I, I, I think it's possible. Um, certainly, he's been up there more than I have, so yeah. I trust his judgment on it. But I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's as much a given because we are certainly. I mean, we are certainly familiar with disappointment and uh, and what it does to people, right? Like, I mean, look, you're more likely to have a radical party emerge in Scotland than you are in British elections, simply yeah, because, yeah. you know, at the end of the day, they've got an electoral system, I believe it's single transferable vote, which has a lower cost of entry, a lower barrier to entry to resource poor organisations. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. First past post system simply does not facilitate, expedite, you know, new organisations to, you know, enter legislative bodies. That's just, that's that's why it's the way it is, essentially. Um, another point he makes in these 10, these 10 points is that SNP could not mobilise beyond their base. And actually, that was one of the major weaknesses of the campaign. Mm. And there's something to that. So, you know, you do have this huge, uh, yeah, no other word for it, groundswell of yes voters who were not SNP voters or not SNP activists. Mm. A lot of, you know, people are saying 30%, maybe it wasn't that much in the end, you know, Labour voters voting yes. Mm. So you do have this major groundswell of people who would be potentially attracted to, if not a new political formation, certainly new factions with existing ones, be it the Green Party or the SNP or even the Labour Party. Um, and that's that's significant. If you look at Catalonia, and we were talking before the show, and I think you're right, we shouldn't draw too many parallels between Scotland and Catalonia. They're historically different, very different contexts and so on. If you look at the Catalan debate right now, the CIU, the historical party of Catalan separatism, which has not historically advocated independence, um, is now for the first time below another, in recent history, another uh, Catalan party as as Cuerda Republicana, which does want independence and is a sort of radical left party. It's a bit like the kind of Podemos Syriza uh, formation that uh, Mason touches upon in his article. I think it's possible that because of the electoral system in Scotland, because of what's just happened, it is, I would say, because of the electoral system actually first and foremost, mm-hmm. it's quite probable that there will at least be an attempt at something like Esquerra Republicana in Scotland. Interesting interesting poll. Those who voted no said the question of independence was over for a generation or more. Those who voted yes said it was over for 10 years or less, a mm-hmm. decade or less. Yeah. So, you know, Alex Salmon can say what he likes. David Cameron can say what he likes. At the end of the day, 1.6 million people voted yes. Many of them people think, many of those people think rather, this is up for grabs 
very soon, probably yeah. after 2017. Yeah. So, look, if the UK leaves the European Union, I think it's almost a given there'll be another referendum on independence in the next 10 years. James? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, given that contingency, I think that's quite likely. Um, I do, again, like there, there is, I think, an axiomatic problem um, here about... Uh, I mean, I find it very, very hard to believe that the foundation uh, or construction of a nation state can ever be a method of emancipation. I, I, I just, I, I, I do find it hard to follow the logic on that one. Um, I, I think you might make sort of strategic and contingent arguments for it. Um, I think I, I do have... Uh, so, so, I mean, I think one of the interesting breakdowns is, so you were referencing the Ashcroft poll yeah. here. And there's a fear. It's an obvious effect of fear in if you look at the breakdowns of reasons that people were voting the way that they did. Because of course, like um, you know, the the majority of uh, yes voters, a huge majority of yes voters, listed as as their important reasons both uh, NHS mm-hmm. um, and uh, dissat- dissatisfaction with uh, Westminster. Yep. Uh, right, a feeling that that representation was just not happening. Yeah. Uh, both of those, I think, uh, are not surprising. They, they won't be surprising to anyone who's, who's followed the debate or discussion at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's the, the reasons for a no vote, I think, that are more interesting, which, I, which um, come from fear. Uh, and there are certainly, obviously, there's an age breakdown of the no vote as well, right? So it's, it's largely, you know, it's huge among pensioners and huge... Not huge, <laughs> but uh, but but dominant, mm-hmm. uh, just dominant. Uh, it's fifty-two percent um, in eighteen to twenty-four-year-olds, which is more surprising than than, than with pensioners. Um, uh, the, now, the, the the reasons for a no vote, the, the dominant reasons were um, uh, worries about the pound, currency worries, but also worries about pensions. And so, so this is a you know a, a real and I think legitimate fear, and one that shouldn't be uh, <laughs> scorned. By, by people on the pro-independence uh, left, which is that people worry about their security. Mm-hmm. Um, and being unable to articulate a, you know, uh, an answer to that is, has, has played an important role here. And, it, I mean, this is a general lesson. Uh, it's a general lesson that, that, that is um, far more widely applicable than just, just this debate, which is that, you know, in, in order to convince people to act in ways that are... Um, that are risky, that are objectively risky, then you have to be able to say things about like how people will manage to live. And, you know, this is, a, you know, a, a, we come back to this again and again and again, right? Which is, you know, how, um, you know, <laughs> how do we have the means of not dying? Um, and, you know, people worry about the availability of things like, uh, you know, or what will happen to pension funds uh, should you undergo sort of constitutional chaos or constitutional change. Uh, people worry about those things. And it's, you know, I, you, know you can't just dismiss it. It's mm. a danger to dismiss it. And mm. it's an idiocy to dismiss it. I am also interested in this this matter of sort of 18 to 24-year-olds, put them about 52%, yes, according mm. to the Sashcroft poll. Mm. Now, uh, uh, worth saying, of course, that the Ashcroft poll, you know, it might have something, you know, the sample is not necessarily completely perfect, um, but I, I don't think it's, you know, unreasonable. Uh, 16 to 17 year olds, incidentally, 71%, yes. Um, Crazy, three to one. Right, I mean, uh, interesting. Uh, I mean, yeah, <laughs> 16 to 17 year olds, um, you know, like, uh, not risk averse people. Yeah, generally, but that's three. Um, I mean, that's pretty significant, right? Three to one. It is significant. I mean, like, the question of how, how views change over time is also an, an interesting because eighteen mm-hmm. twenty four year olds. This is very different. Now, this is the this is the generation that have been uh, you know emerging into uh, the labour market 
under conditions of austerity post 2008 mm. um the 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 mill bank generation as it were um it's they them, are it's they them, are it's the only over 24s they are. but well, they, they are, but so are the over 24s. Yeah, yeah. Who um, well, mm, yeah, yeah, yes and no. I mean, the crisis is 2008, six years yeah. ago. Crisis 2008, but you know, these are these are kids who are coming to yeah. university and employment prospect yeah. with, like, with no background in employment whatsoever and, and the labour market that doesn't favour them. They will be in precarious and unsecure work. Um, they so so this, this is, is just one poll, though. I mean, yeah, yeah. Might, the sample might not be that great. And yeah, I know, anyway. I know. I mean, so I, I said that. I said, yeah. you know, yeah. let's be cautious about it. But I, I do think this is an interesting result and it's worth talking about, like, because because it surprised me. Yeah. It surprised no, me. Yeah. I really, really expected there to be, uh, you know, under sort of under twenty five generally for there to be a, a, a huge yes vote, uh, and it surprised me that it, it, it was so yeah. uh, evenly split. Um, I don't think that this reflects a, a particular investment in the concept of Britain. Mm. Um, I, I think it it reflects essentially a, a rather. Um, Disillusioned hopelessness, actually, like the the, the idea that you know the 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 voting for for what you know because you're afraid that something worse might be coming down yeah. the line, right? Uncertainty is not attractive to people who have you know less than a hundred quid in the bank. And that age cohort, when you compare them to their English counterparts, have actually done pretty well out of devolution. They haven't yeah. paid tuition fees yeah. Yeah. and you know and so on and so forth. So there's something to be yeah. said about that. Yeah. I mean, uh, I just want to talk about, there's a really great point made by John Prescott because he was talking about the referendum in the early noughties about a Northern Assembly. And he said the reason why, the reason why you get referenda that vote yes to a London mayor, a Scottish Parliament, Welsh Assembly, Welsh Assembly just, by the way, in yeah, 98. Yeah, yeah. The reason why you get those votes is because people weren't yet disenchanted with the new Labour project. And he said that, you know, that was possible to say we want more politicians and its power is closer to you. And people bought that argument in 97, 98. So by the time we come up to the sort of early noughties and we're saying, let's have a referendum on a Northern Assembly, Northeastern Assembly, which, by the way, lost, I think, by something like 70, 30. He said by then, public opinion had changed so much because people were saying, we don't want more politicians. So the exact same argument, an anti-Westminster argument, which in 98 had led to the formation of the Scottish Parliament, you know, led to the converse in the early noughties mm. with regards to a northeastern assembly which is that you know you know anti-politics on one level meant you know uh, independent parliament for scotland on another level meant no we want to keep the status quo mm. i wonder what anti-politics means in response to what's just happened specifically in england because mm. you've now got english politicians talking about wholesale constitutional reform it seems str strange. Look, one in 600 people is a member of the Conservative Party in this country. It seems clearly David Cameron is not a legitimate person to talk about uh, renewing civil, civic engagement in England, England and Wales. That's yeah. nonsensical. So how does, and we've talked about anti-politics so many times on the show, especially in the context of austerity and potential political formations. How does that now interact in England with what's just happened? Do you think that f feeds UKIP? What happens next? It's, uh, uh, yes, ultimately, yes. Actually, I do. I do. Um, I, I want to say that I, you know, anti-politics, of course, is like a rather complex category, of course, because it, it can include a sort of uh, an almost hyper-political engagement, which refuses, which says that um, so th this question of formal politics, politics of representation, yeah. um, it is sort of actually far less political, far less um, engaged with the reality of everyday life. Um, than, than than a kind of street politics or a, a, a sort of a DIY politics or a secessionist or sort of um, 
uh, or, or even sort of an anarcho-syndicalist politics. So there, there is a, a, an anti-politics of that kind of thing. There's also, of course, an anti-politics um, that, that simply uh, that is one of a sort of permeating scepticism, right, that says that, um, you know, the, the attempt at sort of uh, uh, a kind of mediated rationality, in, uh, that uh, debate and discussion um, is intrinsically... Uh, poisonous or weak um, and that you have either you you must proceed by acts of either violence um, or indeed uh, uh, you know <laughs> simple overwhelming force um, whether that be sort of uh, explicit or implicit um, whether it be uh, uh, truncheon or uh, uh, form filling um, so different kinds of uh, of overwhelming violence, um, so so there is an anti-politics right, which 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 um, says, of course, that there, there can be, uh, you know, the, the, these organs and instruments of um, you know, historic democracy are are now sort of uh, irrelevant, hmm. um, and and this uh, this one sees in sort of UKIP, this one sees in uh, uh, you know uh, quite a lot of the the, the reactionary. Uh, elements in the Tory party it's it's you can see it in, in various places anyway so so that's to say this anti-political idea is is a huge category and, and so sometimes one has to be cautious while talking about it um however yes there there is clearly an anti-political reaction uh after after this event I and mean, you can see the seeds of it today and the the what's interesting of course is that that Westminster uh, is attempting to answer what is an obvious groundswell of um, economic and social dissatisfaction yeah. um, with a formal political response, right? Which says... Um, Constitutional okay, response, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. We're going to deal with the West Lothian question. We're yeah. going to like attempt a, dev- a devolution revolution, um, revolting phrase, which we'll hear much more of. Um, and, um, and we're going to... Uh, and there have been calls to, to really uh, to attack or, or end or reframe the Barnett formula. Yeah. Barnett formula is the redistribution of resources um, according to uh, population. Basically, um, it, Google it. <laughs> so there, there is a there, there will be this uh, a deployment of, I think, uh, in the service of social reaction, uh, the image of uh, the conservative as a virtuous democrat, right? Which says, okay, what we need is a constitutional and democratic and formal response yeah. to social and economic dissatisfaction. Yeah. I don't think that will be sufficient. I doubt that anyone else thinks it will be sufficient unless they actually work in Westminster. You know, people people really don't care about this stuff uh, except symbolically. It does mean, though, very importantly, that there will not be another Labour government at Westminster ever again, probably. And that's the only reason why Scots vote for Labour at the moment is because they're going to Westminster to represent them. So if that happens, then the Scottish Labour Party's in big trouble now. I mean, it it means, I think, that there there could be a a Labour government, but with little real power, actually. I mean, that's the one that's interesting. This is why Miliband opposes a two-tier... system of MPs, right? Because um, well, if the re- re- with resolution of the West Lothian question on English matters, clearly Labour will ha- not have a majority. Yeah, ever. Absolutely. I mean, they never have done. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, there's this implication, but but there is also so what happens? Say um, because this is this is a matter that will not satisfy people, but that does have symbolic weight. So it can be deployed by nationalists, as we're seeing it done now. It's being done by by you know sort of reactionaries across the board saying, okay, we need to 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 write this um, constitutional aberration, this anomaly, this wrong, 
um, and 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 this is this is this actually becomes a huge symbolic way. And and the the problem we run into is that is that there is a nationalist problem here. It's not one that's simply solved either by a good nationalism on the one hand, um, or, or or by um, a sort of melancholic colonial nationalism on the other. Right? That, that says, oh God, if we could only go back to you know, the, the harmonies of the, the great imperial period where we all sort of um, clubbed together and sort of killed lots of people, and, and that was great. Um, uh, but it cannot be solved by ignoring it either. So so we we are going to be confronted with an increasingly um, powerful nationalist response um, that, that is trying to pick up on uh, legitimate and existing social and economic dissatisfaction um, that hasn't been resolved by a referendum vote, yeah. um, that will not be resolved by um, you know, a constitutional sort of um, rearranging of deck chairs. Um, and so, so this is, the, you know, I mean... The, I mean, the, the 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 great worry always, I think, and I, you know, I think it it was going to be a worry either way that this referendum went, is the rise of sort of nationalist parties either in England, um, which of course exists with the UKIP already, um, or or in a Scotland that fails to deliver on its promises. Mm. Um, so so and a much more sort of um, aggressive kind of nationalism than, than we've seen thus far. Um, I don't think that's going to happen for a decade or two. I mean, think, well, I mean, we, 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 will happen, we have to think long term. Yeah, here. yeah I understand. Um, I mean, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, that I think is 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 it is a real and I think dangerous possibility. Um, so, so there has to be. Uh, we we do have to start posing the question of what what you know what is um, the counter argument to 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 resolving um, social and economic problems um, by via nationalist means mm. um and and I, I you know i you know i think some of that energy has existed around this sort of referendum argument but um i mean i think it, it really does need to come to the fore now much much more i mean the talk across the political spectrum today is about a constitutional convention from yeah. william haig to adam ramsey to patrick Cameron harvey Lucas to theresa may right. you know <laughs> constitutional convention and there have been two big constitutional conventions in europe since the crisis and that's not no surprise because as as we're going to see in scotland uh, the same thing happened in Iceland and Ireland. What was offered as a response to social and economic grievances were constitutional solutions. Both in Ireland and Iceland, they had these conventions and they were completely railroaded. The only thing that came out of the Irish Constitutional Convention was uh, the referendum on abortion. That's a huge mm. thing. But you know, given you're having a convention on the entirety of the Constitution, it seems relatively little, relatively little. That's the, that's the only thing that was won out of it, essentially. You'd expect more, one would expect more reasonably. And in Iceland, uh, I wrote something very recently about uh, John Gnar and the best party in Iceland after the crisis. This constitutional convention was offered by the incumbent, major incumbent organisations of Icelandic public life. And, you know, it was just to let off some steam. And four, five, six years later, you just... You know, let it go. So mm. in Iceland in 2012, there was a referendum on public ownership of national, you know, of natural resources, which is immense in Iceland. When you think energy comes from geothermal energy, you know, they really have an abundance of energy there um, domestically. Referendum, 49% turnout, 80 to 83% voted to nationalise these resources. And look, at the end of the day, that's got no teeth doesn't mean anything um, and it's not going to happen and you've got the two parties of the pre-crisis context the progressive party and the independence party in Iceland. they're both back at the top and the left coalition that came in in 2009 got smashed mm. so talk is cheap and even though this is the topic of conversation today i would not be surprised if the only thing that comes out of it is essentially negative for scotland in so much as yes we have the end of the barnet formula and we have the west lothian question which in no way 
is attempting to even satisfy the grievances mm. that led to this referendum in the first place, which, 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 as you correctly identify, I think are social and economic. James. <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. Um, there, there is, I mean, yeah, I... I <coughs> Come on, James. <laughs> excuse me. <coughs> yes, okay. Um, so, so there are... I'm not sure this pressure will dissipate as quickly as you think, actually. It could, um, though. I mean, it could. Yeah. It could, but then, you know, I mean, the sky could fall in. Um, the <laughs> um, but the know, two examples, we've got on Iceland and Ireland, as it did. Yes. Um, again, I think these are, I think these are sort of slightly different situations, actually. I mean, I, because, again, like, you have, as you often point out, you have now a sequence of um, relatively large-scale political events happening. This is right? true. So, uh, so there, there is, and you, I mean, you have seen this I- immediately. In fact, in 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 response to this, okay, which is, you know, it's it's an argument I actually think is wrong, um, which is that uh, uh, okay, we lost this. Um, now we must make sure the turnout for the next general election is as good as the turnout was for this referendum. <sighs> Again, this is a, a, you know the deployment of this sort of objective notion of democracy. Democracy, right? So, so more democracy is is a good thing, um, but but this this doesn't ask the question of what democracy is. And here, democracy is just turnout at a polling booth. Um, now, the the last time we had you know really you know, surprisingly high turnout was of course 1992, um, uh, where John Major sort of <laughs> I did, I gained in fact the, the the largest raw number of votes um, uh, that, that any post-war leader has, yeah. um, which is <laughs> a really horrible thought. Um, so 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 again, you know, uh, turnout not objectively or necessarily good um, uh, for progressives yeah, of any kind. Yeah, it just mean there's very polarised opinion. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. essentially what it indicates. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so, again, like, basically, I think this this matter of... Uh, I mean, basically, I think when people say, you know, oh, democracy was the, the real winner, it, I mean, this, this is an indication of an argument being made from an extremely weak position, right? It's an argument being made from a position of loss. Yeah. Um, so, so I, I, I think, okay, what we really have to do is recognise that there is now a sequence of... Uh, large-scale political events, um, and I mean formal political events, coming. Um, And I think in the coming weeks there will be some, I think, quite sober reflections about the way in which uh, the independence referendum uh, was conducted and and what it addressed and didn't address and, and, you know, how it it panned out. the important thing to do here, I think, is to is to retain a sort of critical attitude um, to the sort of uh, turnover effect of like large scale political events, right? So um, there's always a reason, and this happens every time there's an election, every time there is um, a, a major local political event. Um, there's always a reason that this you know that this particular vote is something special, that this particular vote, um, it, you know, this particular uh, uh, large scale event is uh, you know something uh, uh, really really important to uh, 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 put one's uh, axiomatic or principled objections to one side and 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 sort of engage in a vote this time or you know vote with no illusions or whatever um, I think if anything this referendum was probably the strongest um, event for which you could make that case, right? That you can make the strongest case for, for this thing. It is, you know, something that really did have, uh, you know, uh, almost, uh, you know, fundamental consequences in one sense. So it certainly would, would have sort of more change than, say, the, the say a general election of either yeah. kind. Um, so I think, 
maintaining a critical attitude is important here because there, there will always be people saying, you know, okay, you must put put aside um, all your other activity and campaign for for this or what you know do, do this. Uh, and I'd like people to, to, to retain that critical attitude. Um, and and this, this will happen next year. It will happen you know, with the general election. It will happen with the uh, EU referendum. It will happen with you know, all of this, this kind of stuff. So, so you know, is, I think, you know, and, and it does, you know, it's, you know I, I, I really worry about, you know, <laughs> every time you get sort of uh, a series of campaigns off the ground and running people sort of, there's always sort of this sucking towards um, towards an electoral campaign. I mean, I, I see this this view of political energy and inspiration as a zero-sum game. I'm not quite sure about it. I mean, de Tocqueville talks about democracy as the associational process, and he says that once you have periods of tumult and turbulence and that process kicks on, like in the French Revolution or in what he sees as sort of post-revolutionary America... Once that starts, once that view of democracy as association begins, it's very difficult to stop it. Mm. Um, and if, for instance, we look at Spain, the 15M movement, the energies of the 15 movement, 15M movement, the 15M movement from 2011 have now gone into, you know, Catalan nationalism, Esquire Republicana, but also Podemos, also single issue campaigns, also uh, anti eviction campaigns. That hasn't, what's actually happened is that in any, in a, I think it's, actually initiated it's it's instigated all of these campaigns it didn't mean that there was a concentrating and a, a diminishing of energies and I, I this view of political energy and inspiration as zero sum is finite I don't quite buy it I think this can transform for many tens of thousands of people this referendum would have transformed their political consciousness how they relate to themselves how they relate to political entities mm-hmm. and it could mean that the Green Party gets a lot of members. It could mean that there could be a new political party. It could mean that Labour gets loads of new members. It could mean uh, the birth of a far-right party in Scotland or UKIP picking up loads of members. No, but you know, because mm. now people have actually had to pin their colours to a mask politically. I mean, what are Rangers fans going to be singing this Saturday? You know, seriously. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I don't think it's zero-sum because we don't say that about the right. So why should we say it about the left? I think it may have instigated a whole set of energies which yeah, are very difficult to see right now but certainly shouldn't be dismissed i i don't buy it because you know i've got we got a tweet here um when i was talking earlier on about you know i don't think that this campaign necessarily has drawn the energies from you know anti-austerity politics post 2011 and somebody said well it definitely has in scotland well you know it's also diminished here as well i mean maybe it would have diminished anyway with or without the independence referendum you know um james well, I mean, it's unfalsifiable, isn't it? Of course, it is. Um, the, the, I mean, the, the, isn't, isn't the issue here? Um, you know, the, the, these conclusions are drawn from experience, right? Like, I mean, like that. You know, I, what you're saying is that there are trends that are not necessarily immediately observable um, in the way in which sort of uh, political change happens, right? So, Some trends are observable. Yeah. So opinions have been yeah. polarised, for right, instance. Right. We know yeah, that. But, but you say that, that, that what I'm interpreting as uh, a, a sort of uh, an absence of energy um, that, that, you know, that, that has retracted from sort of various campaigns and anti-austerity work or whatever mm. is in fact a transformation of energy which might transform in different and unpredictable ways after this event, right? In, in my opinion, when... When when political views become polarised, it, it tends to mean that things kick on rather than recede. Yes, mm. that's in my opinion. 
I yeah. might be incorrect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, I, I, I think it's a perfectly um, credible position. I, I my, but my concern is, is not, is again not with uh, uh, the transformation of debate, not with the, uh, 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 you know, not with a, a, a sort of. Uh, pseudo objective view of democracy right which is that 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 you know it, it, whether it, it as a system of debate and discussion or disagreement is uh, highly <coughs> highly energized or relatively sluggish my desire is 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 rather different to that you know i do, i don't think it is an objective good um that 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 because you know, for instance, I, there are lots of campaigns I don't want to see energised. For instance, like um, uh, deport all foreign people. For instance, that that is bad. Yeah. I mean, they could, um, I, I agree. With which, you precisely. which is the thing that could happen? I think it so, probably will. Yeah. So right, then, then then we need to make a case that there, there are things that are particular social goods, um, and yeah. and that those are things that should be pursued, um, and that there is always a temptation to, because they are difficult to achieve. Um, there is always a temptation to believe that they could be achieved by other means and and there is i think again a, a historic communist critique that that recurs here which is about the question of means and ends and whether ends tra- whether means transform the kind of ends that you you, you attain mm. and and i you know I, I i do think that that is important so for instance the notion that that you can um uh, manipulate or uh, uh, utilize. Manipulate is probably a prejudicial word. I don't want to use it. Um, that you can utilize the notion of the nation state neutrally um, in order to achieve um, particular uh, progressive or social democratic or even socialist goals, um, and that your method of a- achieving those ends will will not transform the kind of ends that you achieve. I, I think that is actually spurious, and I think the probably, ed- I mean they're probably. I mean most rational people say they're mutually constitutive, no. Yes, right. Except, except that there does seem to be this kind of this mode of left opportunism um, that says, okay, like we have, uh, we can take power here, yeah. um, or we can, you know, use uh, a, a kind of like uh, civic nationalism again to achieve non-nationalist or anti-nationalist or socialist or you know, whatever goals. I, and I think I think that's just not true. Mm. I mean, like I, I, I. I I would like to see evidence of it working. Um, I mean, because from, to, to my mind, the history of the 20th century is, is examples of people thinking that kind of thing and then it not happening. Um, that doesn't mean it can't happen now, but I would like to see some evidence for it. Mm. Um, so, I, you know, again, this, I, I mean, I do have a kind of scepticism about this. And I, you know, so I guess we've got maybe two minutes left. Um, any final thoughts about, you know, Look, no one, 55, 45. Were many of those no's not yet? And has the main question of Scottish independence essentially just been deferred, kicked into the long grass for 10 years? Uh, yes, basically. Yeah. Um, I, 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 it, this is a situation where I, many of the no's are, are certainly very soft no's. Um, and if you do have a movement to rerun this in 10 years' time, I think you would get a different result. Yeah. However... Um, I would really, really encourage people, um, you know, not to think that you have to wait 10 years to start, you know, doing something about things you think are wrong, um, to, to, to really, you know, recognise, and I think it's something that people know is true, that, that your goals don't depend on being realised in a particular political configuration, a particular nation state, um, and that, that they are buildable by other means. On that note, 
James, thank you as ever. One uh, point I'd like to add to that was that many of those no's were driven actually by fear, not mm. hope. That's in the statistics, that's in the polling data, whereas yeses were driven by hope, not fear. My name's Aaron Bastani. First episode of Series 4 of Navara FM. We'll be back next Friday, 1pm. James Butler at Pierce Penless. Intellectual ingenue, parvenu, bienvenue. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, welcome. It's the first show. Welcome back. I'm Aaron Bastani. See you same time, same place next week. Bye.